Hello and welcome to the English Wine Diaries with me, Rebecca Pitcairn. I'm an editor, journalist and founder of The Southern Quarter, an online magazine all about English wine. Join me each week as I sit down with a special guest and talk all about their English wine journey. From sommeliers to vineyard owners, hoteliers and some rather familiar faces too, discover how a love of wine, particularly that made on British soil, has helped shape their lives and careers. Welcome to the English Wine Diaries podcast. Today my guest is Robin Hudson, one of the most successful and influential hoteliers in the country. Robin started working in the hospitality industry at some of London's top luxury hotels, including Claridge's and the Barclay, before founding his own hotel chain, Hotel Devan, in 1994 together with renowned sommelier Gérard Basset. More recently, Robin founded the Pig Hotel Group, which this year will open its eighth hotel in the South Downs, and it will come complete with its own vineyard. Robin, thank you so very much for joining me today. How are you in these rather testing times? Uh, hi, Rebecca. Yes, thanks for having me. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess the same as everyone else, really. Um, you know, it, uh, it really does feel as if... Uh, it's gone on for a very long time now, and uh, you know we've been through all the all the phases of uh, not knowing and being open and being closed and being in tears and all that sort of thing. Obviously, all of the hotels are closed at the moment, which is, um, uh, I mean, I would say, <laughs> in some respects, although it costs us a lot of money to stay closed, um, I actually rather prefer the certainty of being closed than being half open and half closed. <laughs> At one point uh, before Christmas, we had hotels in every single tier, and it was, you know, it was quite challenging to manage. To be honest, it must have been a logistical nightmare. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, as you know, we're we're spread across every county in in the south. We've got a thousand employees. Um, uh, the twists and turns of, of trying to do everything right and, and uh, making everyone uh, safe, that's guests and uh, and uh, staff and communicating to all the stakeholders, the supply chain and everything else. It's, it, you know, it's uh, people talk about uh, being bored in, 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 in this COVID era. I certainly haven't been bored. I feel as if I've been working uh, more than ever. <laughs> And you, you've um, initiated a sort of campaign as well, haven't you? Um, hashtag seat at the table. Yeah, um, we, I mean, I suppose I started um, uh, interacting with, with government um, uh, much earlier last year and just trying to, really trying to fly the flag for, for, for rural hospitality. I, you know, I felt that... Um, the metropolitan side of our sector was being well represented, but um, I felt I really felt for some of the uh, those tiny um, establishments uh, in 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 rural uh, UK and particularly the seasonal sector. So I started interacting with 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 government over that. I I sort of wrote an open letter to Boris uh, Johnson in. Uh, I think it was about May last year, and it gathered quite a lot of momentum. And suddenly, I found myself in a situation where I was um, in a sort of lobbying role, I suppose. Um, and then, um, you know, I've long held the view that that we are underrepresented in government, and uh, we, the sector, which is huge, you know, it's the third largest in the, in the country. The largest employer of under twenty-five year olds, 
um, has a huge impact uh, on communities in every last corner of the uh, of the UK. Um, and uh, Claire Bosey from Chef and Restaurant magazine had had started um, a, a petition to ask for a minister of hospitality. And to be honest, in October last year, it had it rather dragged its feet um, and and hadn't really got much traction. And I think it was at about twenty thousand or thirty thousand um, signatures. Uh, we needed 100,000 to force a debate in Parliament. And so, um, really, out of frustration, I, I, I said to some of our young trainees, why aren't we connecting with these three million um, youngsters in, in, uh, you know, in, the, uh, in the sector? Why aren't they signing this petition? Um, and they came up with the... the, the uh, campaign seat at the table, which was an Instagram-based uh, campaign, and we, you know, I obviously used my contacts to get some high-profile um, uh, individuals from the sector on board with it. And within within a couple of months, we'd 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 hit our hundred thousand. Um, and by the time the debate took place on the eleventh of January, just a few weeks ago, we were at two hundred thousand. So so we moved we moved the uh, the uh, petition from sort of about 30,000 to over 200,000. So it was a, it was a job well done. Actually, um, uh, we used all of our management trainees to, to kind of activate that and, and, uh, they, they enjoyed doing it. I think it was a really useful thing for them to do and, um, and somehow plugged them into the whole political process as well. Obviously, you talked there about you know how um, so many younger people in the in the hospitality trade, um, and I think pretty much everyone's <coughs> probably started or had a job in a bar or a restaurant. Um, can we go back to how you started out and how you started in the hospitality um, industry? Yeah, uh, you know it's um, <clears throat> it's a it's a reasonably well known story now, I suppose. Um, uh, at the at the age of fourteen, I um, we moved. Uh, I was born in London, and we moved from from London uh, to Surrey. Uh, and I went from a single sex school to a co-ed school. Um, and um, so, around the time of of supposed to be doing my O levels, uh, I think I was supposed to sit ten O levels or something or other. Um, and uh, I was uh, spending my time um, exploring the, um, uh, the the fun of being in a, in a co-ed school, shall we say, um, and um, uh, and not really doing any work. So uh, instead of 10, 10 O levels, I ended up with two English and art um, uh, as my as my clutch. So I wasn't invited to attend the sixth one, and. Um, uh, I used to like messing around in the kitchen at home, and my mother said to me one day, "Well, why don't you learn to become a chef?" Uh, I looked at the the college prospectus, and the the next um, course up the page from being a chef was uh, hotel and catering operations, which was vaguely in the in a in the sort of hotel direction. So I said, "Oh, all right, I'll do that," and um, you know, without too much uh, careers uh, advice or interrogation into the, into to what that was what that was all about. Anyway, I went to Brooklyn's Technical College for two years. I did something called an OND, which is now I think a BTEC. Uh, 
I did okay at that and then joined the Savoy um, uh, company in London as a management trainee at the age of 18. So I went back to London. So. And how did Hotel Devan come about and your interest in wine? Let's go back actually a bit further than that. What was your first introduction to wine? Yeah, uh, as part of the Savoy management training scheme, um, obviously you, you you move around various um, departments in the hotel, if you like. So I started as a as a commie waiter at Claridge's um, uh, for the first six months or something. And um, then my next uh, posting was to, um, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a restaurant called Stone's Chop House. It was rather like Simpsons in the Strand. It was very traditional, sort of grills and roasts and that sort of thing. Um, and I went there as a as a dispense barman. So I was a barman behind the scenes uh, dispensing um, uh, drinks into the uh, uh, into the restaurant. I was only eighteen years old, coming up nineteen, I suppose, something like that. Um, and then I went into the to the cocktail bar there. So so learning. Um, actually, the the head barman there was a guy called Peter Dorelli who ended up as um, the, the bar supremo at the American bar at the Savoy um, after, after my time. But a real classic old school uh, barman, um, great guy. Um, but whilst I was there, um, one of the wine team must have left um, uh, the, the sommeliers or the wine waiters. As, uh, it was a very English establishment, so wine waiters, I guess they, we were called. And... Um, Without any knowledge whatsoever, I stuck my hand up and said, uh, oh, I could do that. And um, so somehow I ended up as a sort of commie wine waiter. Um, and I really didn't know much at all. Um, and uh, so I ended up serving wine and, and really absolutely learning on the job, I suppose, and starting to recognize some of the labels and you know the vintages and and uh, and so on. At that stage, it was a very traditional list. It was you know full of claret and uh, and so on. And so it was. Uh, that's really where where I learned. But my very very first wine wine moment was at college, and we didn't drink wine at, at home really. I mean, uh, in those days, um, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, I'm talking. Um, sort of uh, late uh, 60s, early 70s, I suppose. Uh, a lot of homes in the UK, you know, wine was was something real high days and holidays, and then it was it tended to be uh, some pretty ugly stuff from uh, commercial, uh, you know, from, from, from Germany. Um, I remember we used to drink, uh, sort of at Christmas, we used to drink Sauterne and Barsac and, you know, um, Anyway, I went. I went to. Uh, there was a wine uh, lecture or something at, at college, and we had a wine tasting. And uh, it was probably the first dry white wine that I'd really come across. And I remember to this day it was a Puy Vanzel that we were we were uh, was passed around to drink. And I thought this is this is amazing. This, you know, and it, so it was it was absolutely a light bulb moment. I was. I guess seventeen years old, um, and and then of course um, uh, with the Savoy Company they put you through various 
um, uh, courses for for bar drinks and 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 wine, and you learn a little bit more and and, and so on. So I became intrigued, and and then I ended up at Stone's Shop House actually serving wine, and so I was learning to open bottles and decant wine and and this and that. So so it was um yeah, it wasn't a very structured um, uh, baptism uh, into into the world of wine, but uh, it did take my interest very early on. And so was that one of the reasons behind you opening Hotel Devan? Was it always a dream of yours to have a sort of hotel? You know, why Hotel Devan? Why why did you choose that concept? Yeah, I mean, uh, so in the intervening years, I guess, um, after the, the moment as a sort of um, rookie uh, wine waiter to, um, to the hotel, uh, to uh, I, I was general manager and then managing director at uh, Tewton Glen Hotel in New Forest. And um, uh, I had, uh, when I went there, there was no head sommelier there. And uh, so I recruited Gerard Basset as, as, as our head sommelier. And Gerard and I formed a, um, a, you know, a, a, wine, a wine friendship, I would say. Um, and uh, during our time there, which was about eight years we were there together and you know, when he wanted blind tasting set up, I'd set them up for him and, you know, uh, and then we'd do the odd tasting together and, you know, so, and wine was, was very much part of the language, I suppose. And, um, and so really Gerard and I, um, and I learned, you know, a huge amount from him. We, we worked very closely with, with a, a, a wine merchant in Hampshire as well, David Burns, and, and he was always very inclusive um in in terms of tastings and so on so i started to build up the the knowledge there i suppose although i'd always had the the interest i didn't really have the knowledge so i started to build up a little bit of knowledge and then uh when it was time for i was determined that i was going to start um uh, a new uh, entrepreneurial business and Gerard and I, um, I never really went to the to the London tastings with him, but um, I, I, one day I said to him, look, if there's something interesting coming up, um, you know, I'll come with you one time, you know, to, to one of the tastings. And Babendum had, had uh, were trying desperately to do more business with us at Tune Glen and had set up a big tasting um, up in Primrose Hill. And so Gerard and I went up there and the directors of uh, Babendum are all there, and you know we were made quite a fuss of, uh, and we tasted a huge number of wines from their range. And at lunchtime, so this is in '93, uh, um, and at lunchtime we uh, they took us out to lunch to really about the original gastro pub in London, which was a place called the Lansdowne. It still exists actually. Um, and it was it was a real breath of fresh air because it was you know it was serving what we now accept as sort of modern British food. Um, uh, it was done in a completely different style. The, the 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 pub was you know had sofas and we strolled in with our tasting samples from lunchtime and we sat down, and, you know, and and it was and that was another light bulb moment really because uh, on the way back I said to Gerard you know, what are you going to do next? You know, we were both, I suppose, um, we were in our 30s. Um, we were late 30s or something. And um, he said, oh, I think I'm going to go to California or somewhere and go and write about wine. And um, I said, oh, yeah. And I said, I'm thinking of 
you know, branching out on my own. And literally <clears throat> from that moment, I sort of, um, I thought, well, what about trying to put together a hotel and restaurant? And at that time, the, 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 the sort of food revolution of that period hadn't hit the provinces really. And so the, the early, the early uh, transformation of restaurants in, in London when Conran and Alistair Little and Warrell Thompson and all those people were just starting, um, that hadn't, that hadn't kind of uh, rippled out to the, to the provinces. And so um, we, I called Gerard shortly after that meeting, that wine tasting and said, how about a, uh, uh, some sort of um, boutique hotel with, and boutique hotels didn't exist really then uh, in the UK. Um, how about a boutique hotel with a wine school is what I actually said to him. Uh, and anyway, we started talking about it. He didn't have any money. He was in negative equity with his his flat. Uh, I didn't have very much money either. Um, and so anyway, we we put together a scheme and um, we raised some money from friends and family and and so on. And and uh, very early on, I'd scribbled on the front of our business plan, such as it was, which was it was a pretty rubbish business plan to be honest. But um, I scribbled on the front Hotel de Van just, you know, to recognise Gerard's sort of uh, French nationality and, and 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 the wine. And we kept trying to change the name. We kept trying to think of a different name, and it just stuck. And in the end, we said, "Oh, let's just call it that." And, and that's how how it started. Ninety four, we opened. And that was Winchester, is that right? Yeah, it's about 200 metres from where I'm sitting now, actually. (laughs) We live in central Winchester. And how how many did you extend to in the end before you sold? Uh, We sold with um, seven operating, a couple sort of in the pipeline. Uh, We sold exactly 10 years after opening. Um, And yeah, it was quite, quite an adventure, really. And now on to the pigs, and the latest one that you're opening in the South Downs is going to have its own vineyard. Yeah, so I suppose from from that early interest in, in wine, um, you know, uh, again, uh, hanging around, you know, obviously you, being at Hotel de Van, you, wine was such a dominant part of what we what we were doing. Uh, you couldn't. Um, you couldn't help but get absorbed in, in in the whole subject more and more. And um, I mean, it was pushing an open door as far as I was concerned. I, I was fascinated and went on a few trips and, and all the rest of it. And so the wine thing has always been there. And certainly at The Pig, we've tried hard to encourage a, uh, a wine culture as well. Uh, so, you know, we've got some great young sommeliers and, and, you know, we try very hard to, to, to encourage them equally with the pigs. What I've tried to do is each one, rather than some sort of cookie cutter approach, we've tried to give it uh, its own sort of USP. And, um, we had started working, uh, which I'm sure we come on to in a moment with, uh, the wine garden of England, uh, 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 in in Kent, with our with our um, the opening of the Pig at Bridge Place in two thousand and nineteen, and was very uh, I was very excited to find some great still wines as well as sparkling wine uh, in Kent, and so when we started looking at Sussex, 
I suddenly there was there's a, a sort of perfectly formed rectangular uh, shaped two acre field on a slope in front of the in front of the hotel which was part of the curtilage of our property um, and I thought I just wonder if there's any way that this could be a vineyard and so we had the soil tested and we had the you know I had a few of my wine mates come and look at the space so Charles Simpson from from Simpsons in Kent came over and Ian Kellett from Hambledon came over and uh, they all agreed that um, the elevation was about right um, uh, and, uh, and, and the orientation was about right. And the soil um, came up trumps. We had that, we had that analysed uh, and uh, tested by uh, Vineworks, who, who are one of the big um, contractors in the area. And they got very excited about the soil and, and, and thought that it was, you know, it's obviously the chalk band and, 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 and well, uh, well suited. And it hadn't had anything on, on, on the field. In fact, there were, when, we, uh, when we bought the property there, there were some llamas on the field. So uh, it had just been sort of for grazing. So, uh, so it's, um, yeah, no, kind of... Uh, kind of fascinating and, and I started to once we, we realized that we could grow something there <clears throat> um, I had been very uh, excited to uh, to see what Charles Simpson was doing at Simpsons with with some of some of the clones of, of, of vines he was working with up there and in small batches um, and so um, I sort of decided that I was going to take a leaf out of his book really and um we so we ended up buying burgundian clones um and planting planting champagne grape varieties um uh, uh to loosely put them in a bracket but um uh, but with the intention of creating still wines and i kind of i suppose there's a backstop position there that that if we can't make good still wines, then we could fall back on some sparkling. Um, but, you know, I just feel that sparkling has been so well done now and, uh, you know, in, in lots of places in the UK. So I really would like to try to nail the, um, uh, the still wine. Uh, and, you know, because we don't have to be particularly commercial with it, and my objective with it really is I don't even care if, if, if we – if we can make a thousand bottles of something amazing rather than 5,000 bottles of something ordinary. So that's, that's the objective. So it's quite by accident then, really. It's not something you specifically planned on doing. No, I kind of, I mean, I suppose somewhere in the back of my mind, I've always thought, Oh, wouldn't it be fun to have a vineyard? Um, and, you know, I know quite a few winemakers and uh, vineyard owners and, uh, you know, all around the world. And, um, I'd always sort of, you know, I recognise a huge amount of hard work it is. So probably two acres is about right. <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, if it, if it was um, a, a proper, uh, you know, sized commercial <laughs> enterprise. But, you know, we, we, we should be able to do something interesting. And have you worked out who you're going to work with um, in terms of the wine production? Um. I think there's, you know, I mean, we haven't we haven't set anything up yet. Um, we have got a, a couple of offers in, so uh, to to help us with that. Um, 
And I think, you know, our first grapes will be uh, 22. So, I mean, they, the, the vines went in in uh, April, May last year. So um, we had some we had some leaf last year, but um, uh, we should we should see some fruit this year. But we, it won't be it won't be usable until one more year. By which time we'll have had those um, you know it, the vines will have been in the ground for a couple of years. So we've got Chardonnay, uh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, um, uh, and we've uh, we've planted a little. Um, uh, a couple of rows of, of a bit of a surprise as well. So we're just for fun. <laughs> Exciting. And so um, who in your team is working on that? Because you do have a head uh, um, head of wine, don't you, Luke? Yeah, so um, Luke Harbour, um, uh, who is uh, uh, unbelievably young and unbelievably talented and committed to, to the subject. Um, you know, he's one of the few people I have ever come across that has that same level of commitment that Gerard had and so I completely recognize it in him um, and he's currently uh, he's currently located in Kent at Bridge Place in fact he's been working at Simpsons uh, you know for uh, a day every couple of weeks in, you know because he's been working on his diploma and, and actually is now embarking on his master of wine um, so you know part of part of the uh, encouragement for him is, uh, you know, to to put these opportunities in front of him. So uh, he's going to head up the um, uh, the project. Um, but uh, we also have um, a talented kitchen gardener there. Uh, Alex has been with the company a long uh, a long time, so he will be um, he'll be tending the the vineyard. And then we've got the backup of of. Uh, uh, of vine works who are holding our hand through the, you know, through the 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 seasons and the and the the you know the changes in climate and everything else, plus our other mates in the in the business who no doubt we can call on for some uh, advice when we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> Talking of your other mates in the industry, um, you've spoken about Simpsons, Charles at Simpsons, and, and what they're doing there. But what other vineyards do you are you sort of gaining inspiration from, and, and do you think are really getting it right when it comes to um, English wine? Yeah, I mean, um, it's. I mean, we we, we have a, a good few friends in, in as you as you say. So um, we. Um, I'm very, I'm very impressed with what's going on in Kent at the moment. I have to say, so um, uh, I think Gusborne and, and Hush Heath and Chapel Down and, and so on are, are really great uh, examples, as well as Simpsons, um, uh, and they're really sort of pushing the boundaries, uh, not just uh, in sparkling wine, but but in uh, uh, in still wine as well. Um, and you know, prior to Prior to um, uh, starting our hotel in Kent, you know, I had always rather dismissed um, English red wine. I couldn't find anything that I really enjoyed drinking very much. Um, and now I think there are some really good examples of even red wine in uh, uh, in, in Kent. So uh, I think one of your questions to me was going to be, what's the most surprising uh, uh, Thing, I mean that's that's one of the most surprising um, um, 
uh, aspects of, of 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 what's going over uh, going on in the in the wine garden of England. So yeah, I'm. I, I think there's a huge amount of talent coming through now, and it's just going to get better and better. And I think the really really exciting thing is um, uh, that the way uh, the grape of Pinot Noir is is responding now and and how we're learning to deal with it perhaps in in the uk uh because uh, i think there's some very exciting examples of it coming through now hmm. um you've obviously said about the ones that surprised you if it's, it's a monday afternoon so you're not likely to be drinking uh-huh. anything right now but if you were to be drinking something if it was a, a week off or something and maybe the sun was shining i don't know um english wine wise what would you what would you be drinking um well there's a there's a few um i don't know whether you know about our little uh, personal project called devon minnow um we um <coughs> so we we've been working with um uh a vineyard in uh devon called castlewood um uh which is conveniently located close to the pig at Coombe and sort of en route to the pig on the beach in studland but also very close to, I was introduced to them uh, by my very good um, fishing buddy, Mark Hicks, we, the chef, Mark Hicks, and, and uh, you know, who has a, has a restaurant in, uh, in Lyme Regis. And um, we were in our usual, our, our form of fishing is basically fish for a couple of hours, have about a three hour lunch on the, uh, on the riverbank and then fish for another couple of hours. So that's, that tends to be, and, and whilst we're sitting there having our three hour lunch, of course, um, shooting the breeze about all sorts. Um, and, um, we decided that we should have our own, our own label for, um, for, um, uh, for drinking on the, on, on the riverbank. And, uh, we started talking to, uh, Rob Corbett at Castlewood, who, um, he's a, he comes from a farming family and uh, like so many British um, small farms, you know, have, have struggled to, you know, in more recent times, I suppose. Um, anyway, he's an enterprising fellow and, and, and planted a lot of vines and, has, and makes a very good sparkling wine. But we, um, in talking to him, he said, well, if you want to do something with this vineyard up here, um, uh, why don't you... Why don't you, you know, have that as your, as your sort of um, your own label? So Mark and I, in, in chatting with him, it was planted with Bacchus, and to be absolutely honest, most Bacchus is not uh, is, is not to my taste. It's not my thing, really. Um, so I said, well, there's a lot of it about now. <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot of it, isn't there? Yeah, about now as well. It's, we've been a bit. It's a bit like yeah, Sauvignon Blanc. Exactly, and it's not. That's not really my thing. And um, so I said to Rob, "What would happen if we put Bacchus in oak? You know, could we could we turn it into something a bit more interesting?" So he said, "Well, I'm certainly willing to give it a go if if uh, if that's what you'd like to do." So so anyway, we he bought some uh, some new French oak. And uh, it's a small, um, uh, small vineyard. Uh, again, it's uh, probably, I think it's a couple of hectares, something like that. Um, and it's on. It's quite. It's quite steep. In fact, it looks like a, it looks like a Burgundian slope in a way. Um, uh, and um, 
So anyway, in 2018, being the um, uh, the sunny uh, year that it was, I said to Rob, "Well, if there's ever there a year, if ever there is a year that we should try this, it'd be this, you know, 2018." Anyway, he made the first vintage in 2018, um, and we put it in quite a smart bottle and all the rest of it. Um, I'll go and find one and show you in a moment. Uh, uh, but um, uh, anyway, he uh, he made this thing, and it's it's pretty astonishing. Um, it doesn't really taste like Bacchus. Um, it's uh, numbered bottles and all the rest of it. I think there were 2,000 bottles or something of it. Um, uh, but it, it takes on a completely different character with, with, with the oak. And, of course, it was very fruit-driven and, and almost sweet um, uh, fruit in, in 2018. So it's a, it's a particularly extreme version of it. We've now got 19 going, which is a little bit leaner, but it's still really interesting. But the oak actually um, does something to that very stringent, uh, as you say, Sauvignon Blanc character. Um, uh, and it's, so it's less, um, it's less cat's piss than, 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 than normal. You know, that, 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 that kind of, you know, that smell, the pipi chat, as they call it in, 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 in France. Um, the, so, uh, anyway, we made this thing. And in fact, um, Matthew Dukes, um, uh, said that, um, uh, this is a uh, worse to the effect of this is a game changer of a Bacchus wine, and he made it his wine of the week in his column in Money Week, I think it was. But um, but anyway, so it's, it's sort of it's, it came out of you know banter on the riverbank, uh, and it's called Devon Minnow because uh, obviously it's a minnow of a vineyard, but Devon Minnow also means a, it's an old fashioned, it's a Victorian fishing lure. It's a little spinner, like a, a, a so that's why it's called Devon Minner. And um, uh, anyway, it's a bit of fun. Everyone loves it. You can only you can only buy it either from the vineyard or uh, our restaurants, Mark's restaurants. Angela Hartnett has it in hers, and Mitch Tonks has it in, in his restaurant. So it's just a, it's only in a few places, but um, but it's quite fun anyway. And do you think you'll expand into other grapes or, or other, or you just keep going with that and seeing? Well, how it you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'd love to do something else in somewhere, you know, in, in another another vineyard. But at the moment, he's um, Rob. You know, sort of vineyard is planted with Bacchus, so so you know we we are um, a little bit limited to what we do there. I mean, yes, we could, no doubt, you could graft something else on or whatever, but um, uh, that that feels like a uh, uh, a long-term, uh, you know, sort of project. Well, moving on from that, actually, what 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 would you say is your favourite place? Do you have a favourite place to drink wine? Well, the riverbank ha- has to be one of the favourite places to drink wine. Um, I like to drink wine outside. Really, I like to, I like to eat outside, and I like to drink outside. And so, um, you know, my absolute favourite thing to do is to. Uh, sit outside with mates uh, who appreciate their food and wine and and have a very long lunch i mean that is uh, rather than uh, almost anything you could uh, you could suggest to me you know that would be the thing that i i would choose to do and i have i have lots of mates in the industry who i suspect share that 
well, they certainly share, share it. Whether they say it's their absolute favourite or not, I don't know. But they certainly, uh, yeah, share the uh, uh, the enjoyment of that. So, if you were having this a long lunch, then what would be your favourite food and wine combo? Um, I'm a great believer in. Um, uh, I quite like humble food with 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 sophisticated wine, if you like. So, so great wine with with humble food. So, the simpler, the better. Um, in fact, I, I I don't know if you've seen our um, our pig. Have you seen our pig book? I've seen it. I don't actually have a copy, but I have seen it. Yes, I'll send you one. Um, there's a there's a there's a chapter in here somewhere, and it's it it's called um, Great Food, Humble Wine. I think it is. Uh, no, uh, no, humble. F- the other way around. Noble wine, simple food. Yeah, and and that's that's you know so it's it's all about you know kind of um, I I paired some <laughs> so I've got Chenin Blanc with uh, with baked potatoes and beans and um, uh, a good mate of mine is Jeff Merrill from uh, from uh, Australia from from the Barossa from McLaren Vale um, so cheese on toast with with his Shiraz and. You know, great claret with bangers and mash, and, and so on and so forth. Manzanilla sherry with um, uh, with bacon sandwiches. Do you think that's something that's happened more and more now? Particularly, I think with maybe the um, the way English wines develop so much is that it's become less stuffy and less. It's more about that. It's more about simple food, enjoying it, having a good time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the problem with um, you know, if you're going to have a very sophisticated meal, um, you sort of need to concentrate on one thing or the other. I find it quite difficult to concentrate on both, and and uh, and sometimes it's um, you know just the you know the enjoyment of of a um, you know I don't know a piece of cheese or a piece of bread or, or you know or a pizza or whatever it is you know something really simple with a great glass of wine you know I really I really love that in fact on Friday evening um, uh, unusually for us uh, I bought a pizza from Waitrose and uh, uh, and I just I had in my head that I just really wanted to drink super tuscan with this pizza and i didn't quite manage i i drank uh, we, we i opened um the second wine of Onalaya, that sera nueva um which from bulgaria and um uh, which is great uh, you know it's great wine obviously it's the the bordeaux grape varieties but um uh but it uh but it was the perfect you know it just sort of a, a really satisfying glass of of uh, of wine, really well balanced, well made wine, uh, just with you know just a really simple pizza. I just you know, and that's sort of heaven for me, really. And of course, you've also got your the wines that you serve at the pig, haven't you? That um, the yeah. is it the cut pig cut the pig cut wines, um, which are from uh, 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 Tanata Fortuna in in Tuscany. Um, which the sommelier team helped to blend, uh, you know, that the uh, the, the current uh, the current wines. Um, so uh, they've just they've just come out actually those ones. So, so that, that in fact we we've been close m- most of the time that they, <laughs> they've been available. 
So I haven't drank them as often as I should have done. <laughs> and I always sort of round off um, the interview by asking um, you the wine, if you could only drink one wine for the rest of your life, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I did sort of agonise over this, um, and I'm assuming money, no object, so it can... Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I find I find um, uh, red burgundy the most frustrating of all areas, and, um, you know, for me, 75% of it is actually quite disappointing, you know, it sort of promises a lot and, and usually disappoints. Some, it ends up as being rather a thin, unsatisfying um, glass of wine. Um, but when you hit a great glass of red burgundy, I think it's, uh, it's very, very difficult to, 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 do, to do better. So, you know, it would have to be a Rousseau or something like that. You know, I mean, a great Gevry Chambertin. Um, you know that I th- I think there's nothing more satisfying than than that. But I mean, you know that there's there's so many other. You know, I'm a big fan of New World wine as well at, at its best. I mean, I love the wines from Ridge in in California. So, you know, Ridge Montebello would be right up there as well. And and I've already mentioned Super Tuscans. You know. Unalaya and Guadalajara and those those sort of things uh, are um, uh, yeah are, would be very good substitutes. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, completely different grape varieties, but but you know. Do you think English wine will ever reach those heights? Obviously, we've done pretty well with our sparklings, but when it comes to still. Um. Well, I you know. I, I, we have we we certainly have some of the um, uh, characteristics of terroir. You know, we have we we have the soil. Uh, you know, the same band of soil that you know runs through through us ends up in in Champagne and and uh, Northern Burgundy. Um, uh, we uh, what we at the moment, you know that. We're just, I suppose, something very similar in some areas, uh, climate-wise, to, to to Champagne. If if global warming continues, I could, uh, you know, I can absolutely see that uh, we would we would tilt more towards um, uh, a more Burgundian um, uh, climate, perhaps. Um, so who knows? I, I'm, you know, I, d- I don't think we've got all of the elements yet. A while. Um, but uh, climate being being the big one that um, uh, you know, and I'm not uh, <laughs> suggesting it's a great idea for global warming to um, uh, to be encouraged. Um, but um, from from a wine perspective, that's probably the piece that's that's missing. And you know, I mean, you you have to give it to the old world of wine. Uh, they have you know centuries of heritage and uh, winemaking experience and and so on that. That, and it's still a, a, a relatively youthful industry in, in, in the UK. You mentioned, I say I was going to finish on that question, <coughs> but I've got another one for you. Um, you obviously mentioned um, those that are doing really well within the Garden of England and obviously in Sussex. Um, have there, on your travels, have you come across any English vineyards, that, the sort of smaller boutique vineyards mm. that are really getting it right, but perhaps are a little le- less well known? 
Um, well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I mentioned Castlewood just now. I think, you know, I think he's doing some very interesting things and on a very small scale. He's not the, he's not the same size as some of the, the bigger guys. You know, I think every, every vineyard approaches their winemaking uh, and, and vine growing in a different fashion. So, uh, you know, Hambledon are doing, you know, great things on a large scale as are, you know, Camel Valley in, in, in Cornwall we're working with. Um. Uh, so, so there's, you know, there's and and size, um, size of vineyard doesn't, you know, dictate uh, uh, excellence. You know, like in 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 the wider world of of wine, you know, there are some big vineyards and some tiny vineyards. You know, that 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 are doing uh, equally good things. Um, so. Um, you know, there are lots of little, uh, uh, and I don't know them all by any means, but there are lots of smaller smaller vineyards popping up all over the place that, um, you know, we will see some great things, uh, you know, and the more and more expertise that, 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 that uh, you know, filters through to, to new, new winemakers. I think, you know, we're, we're in for a sort of halcyon, Period. I think for English wines, I think it will. Uh, I think it's very exciting what's what's going to happen. But um, certainly, I'm blown away by what's happening in Kent with still wines at the moment. That's that for me. That's the exciting bit. It's indeed very exciting times, and I can't wait to come and um, visit the Pig in the South Downs when it opens. Can you remind us when it actually is hopefully opening? Well, um, we had absolutely intended to open uh, at the beginning of July. Um, we have been slowed down a little bit because of current situation. So we've got less, um, less workers on site and, um, you know, some of the supplies, uh, where they come in from, from other countries have been slowed by the, you know, by the Brexit situation as well. So we've got a couple of forces, a uh, couple of headwinds, if you like, uh, to, to overcome, um, uh, it will be this summer sometime. Um, uh, we're just trying to analyse at the moment exactly what the date will be. But um, yeah, we'll be open in the summer at some point. Oh, that sounds great. Fingers crossed it's in time for us to have a enjoy a nice glass of wine overlooking the vines. So um, thank you so much for joining me today. Not at all. Great fun. Thanks. Well, that was Robin Hudson. And what an incredible wine journey he has been on. I can't tell you how excited I am to taste the wines his team will be producing in West Sussex, hopefully sometime next year. Thank you for listening to this edition of the English Wine Diaries podcast. I'd love to hear what you think, so please do drop me a message on Facebook or Instagram at The Southern Quarter. And don't forget to check out thesouthernquarter.co.uk and sign up to our newsletter for all the latest English wine news. I'll be back next week with another episode of the English Wine Diaries podcast. Until then, cheers. Cheers.